This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. This was horrifying. I didn't know how to handle myself. This same sound happened multiple times every few nights for a couple of weeks. A few weeks later, he texted me with a link to a gore video saying, These things happen in war. If you can't handle this, war is not for you. We checked the ring the next morning, and he sat outside his apartment staring at our door for the rest of the night. From Disturbed Media... Join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that are sure to give you the chills. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. One quick note at the top of the show, thanks to everyone who reached out regarding my surgery that I recently had. I know my speech is not quite back to normal yet, but it's getting a lot better. So thanks to everyone who reached out with all the support. It's greatly appreciated. We open the show hearing from Reddit user Mlem Sickles, featuring voice work by Rhiannon Mauschel, and we have something else in the house. Please tell me what this is and what to do about it. I just want to preface this by saying that I cannot stress enough how real this encounter is. I know it's crazy. I know it sounds fake. I'm sober. I'm of sound mind. It happened. And I'm in tears and sick to my stomach because I don't know what to do about it. This is going to be a long one. But I am in desperate need of help and I think it is all important. We live in North Texas. My boyfriend's house is a two-story house, the upstairs consisting of only the master suite. The staircase starts across from the kitchen and goes straight up into a wall there is a 90-degree angle opening to the bedroom door. There are no vents on this staircase. Once inside the door, there is a small hallway section that has doors on either side, one to the bathroom and one to the closet. From there, you walk into the room, on one side being the bed, the other side having a lounge area with a TV and recliner. I had stayed at my boyfriend's house a few times, and had a few experiences where when I was alone in the house, I could hear very distinct sounds of boots stomping around downstairs. I am not a stranger to ghostly activity, so I kind of laughed it off, but it didn't bother me too much. 
My boyfriend said that he had also had a few paranormal encounters in the house, but nothing like that. One night, I was lying in bed watching TV. My boyfriend was standing by the hallway leading into the room with our cat. He was commenting on feeling a draft under the door, which is strange because again, there are no vents and the hallway leading to the room is at a 90 degree angle. I hear the door start to creak open and see him and the cat react at the same time and snap towards the door. Then hear the door slam shut and boots running up and down and up and down the stairs. This continued for a few minutes and then stopped. This was horrifying. I didn't know how to handle myself. This same sound happened multiple times every few nights for a couple of weeks. We would be trying to sleep and hear boots up and down and up and down the stairs, but nobody would be there. It happened so often that eventually we just learned to ignore it. Then the activity stopped seemingly out of nowhere. Additionally, in the master closet, there is a small hatch in the ceiling that leads to additional attic space that is not accessible from the main attic. Sometimes we can hear shuffling around up there and walking. My boyfriend refused to look up there ever since moving in because he was afraid he might find something scary. We recently had an inspector look up there because we were having our insulation redone, and he said it looks practically untouched up there. No sign of animal activity. I had come to terms with the fact that maybe there was a ghost in the house, but recent events have led me to believe there is something worse here. I have since moved into the house with my pets. Our couch is a sectional, and when lying on the far side, you can see straight towards the back door. Our back door has a storm door with a doggy door on it, and we call all the dogs in for the night and close the actual back door, which does not have a dog door on it. One night after dinner, I was watching a movie on the couch while my boyfriend was playing games upstairs. I heard a scratching at the door and went to open it, to find my shih tzu had been locked outside. I let him in and pet him, and he growled a bit and ran off. This isn't very unusual for him, to be honest. He is kind of a jerk, so I didn't think anything of it. I went back to watching my movie. A while later, my boyfriend came downstairs to join me, and I let him know that he must have locked Odie outside when he called the other dogs in. He swears to me that Odie has been upstairs with him this entire time. He swore that he was lying on his lap and actually kind of annoying him, getting in his way while he was trying to play games. We have a kind of heated, half-joking, but mostly serious disagreement about this because we both swear we saw oatmeal in two different places at once. We agree to disagree, and I let the incident go. It was weird. It was really weird. But I decide that my boyfriend must have been mistaken and Odie must have joined him for games after I let him in. And my boyfriend was just so enthralled in his games, he just assumed Odie was there the whole time. A month or so later, another incident with this shadow oatmeal occurs. I wake up for work and bring oatmeal downstairs with me so he can go outside to go potty. I always close the bedroom door behind me when I do this so Odie doesn't go back upstairs to wake up my boyfriend, because once Odie is awake, all he wants to do is play. I go to work and come home. I don't think anything of it. Once I get home, my boyfriend is telling me how Odie had to sleep downstairs last night because he got in trouble after I went to bed. I laugh at the story and ask my boyfriend when he softened up and let oatmeal back in. He gets immediately confused and says he didn't. I tell him that when I woke up this morning, Oatmeal was sleeping by my feet, as always, 
and I took Odie downstairs this morning. We again have a disagreement because we swear we saw him in two different places at once. I again brush it off. This leads us to tonight, when the absolute most horrifying thing to ever happen to me happens. We are in bed watching videos on our phones. I am on my side facing the wall. Oatmeal is laying up against my feet on the edge of the bed. I feel something crawl up between me and my boyfriend. I assume it is my cat. It turns a couple of times and settles in. I think this is a bit strange because my cat usually only sleeps on top of me. If I move him, he will just keep climbing back up. But I don't turn. About five minutes later, I hear a growl that is unmistakably oatmeal's coming from the lump in between me and my boyfriend. And I hear my boyfriend scold oatmeal and shoo him off the bed. I tell myself that it must be my cat by my feet then. My boyfriend turns on his bedside lamp and oatmeal is sleeping soundly next to my feet and my cat is sleeping in a ball across the room. We are both in shambles. My boyfriend starts frantically searching the room with a flashlight and a knife, not knowing what to do with himself. He says he was petting what he thought was oatmeal, but once he got to the creature's head, its face was hairless and the creature growled and bit him and ran off the bed. At this point, I am in near tears. Now we are freaking out. All of the dots are starting to connect. Is it not a ghost, but this creature living above our bedroom in the attic, running up and down the stairs? Our husky suffered a large wound this week where she mysteriously cut off nearly her entire paw pad. It was hanging on by a thread and luckily we were able to get it stitched back on. We searched our entire backyard and could not find the source of the incident. It literally looks like someone took a knife and sliced her paw pad off. The vet said the laceration goes completely under her pad and barely missed the artery under it. We at first assumed she must have cut it on our fence, but there was no blood anywhere or directly by the fence. They have lived here for years without incident. Yes, this could be entirely unrelated, but could this be the creature's fault too? I am in desperate need of help. What is this thing and how can I get rid of it? Are you listening alone? Rather brave of you. Up next, we check in with Reddit user Vacation Fickle, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin, and we find strange things in the woods. Today, I took my niece, adult in her 20s, to a dental office in Cleburne, Texas, to have an oral surgery done. Since it would take about an hour to do the surgery, her mother, my sister-in-law, and I decided to go poke around the woods nearby. There was a little clearing, then right past the wood line there was a steep rocky slope down to a small creek. The creek itself was pretty average, only a foot or two at the deepest, and it changed depths at different areas but was all pretty shallow and you could see the bottom. So we were exploring when we noticed the first strange graffiti. It looked like an evil eye symbol. Honestly, not that weird to find in the woods. So we continued down and find a decoration, for lack of better words, of rocks on the side of this creek. 
up towards the bank where it's more rocky and no water reached. Someone had wrote out, with semi-large rocks, the words love you with a cross in the middle of the O in the word you. Still not too strange, but for some reason I had already started feeling uneasy. So I joked to my sister that we were going to find a dead body hanging up here or something. So a few feet down, we noticed a small animal trap. Like the kind that snap when you step on them. Keep in mind, this is in the city. Houses and buildings in both directions on the other side of the tree line. I'm not sure why anyone would be setting small bear traps here. At this point, I'm like, this is getting kind of freaky. And then we round the corner of the creek. And there is a homemade noose hanging from a tree. Recently put up by the looks of it. Made of rope and garden hose. Very clearly a noose. Over a stagnant pool of water. So at this point, we are pretty amped up. All the previous things leading up to this, plus the noose in the woods, had our adrenaline pumping. But this isn't even the most insane part. We turn around to leave and are paying more attention to our surroundings on our way out than we were on our way in, for sure. I'm wading through a shallow, rocky part of the creek to cross back to the left side, and I see something lacy pinned under a rock. Clearly pinned under a rock in the middle of this creek. A pair of girls' thong underwear. Perfectly on the middle of the stream, pinned under a piece of broken cement or rock. We were floored. We weren't sure all the things were connected, but it felt seriously fishy. I did touch a few things before I realized how spooky it all was. I used a stick to fish the panties out of the creek and set them on a large boulder out in the open because I was still debating reporting it. I made sure not to touch those at all. My sister took pictures of the noose and underwear. I hung a small Y-shaped twig on the noose. Because we had originally talked about coming back in a day or two and seeing if anything had been moved or changed. Altogether, one of the strangest things I've ever just happened upon randomly was the last thing I expected. Maybe I watch too much Criminal Minds. Maybe there's a sicko out there building up his confidence to do something bad, or already has to the owner of the underwear. I texted my sister and asked for the pics. It's on a Walmart phone, so not the best quality, but still you can see them. I also have pics I took on my iPhone of the creek area in question. Did not have my phone later on during the hike as I was afraid I'd drop it in the creek crossing. Update from this morning. I have spoken with the police department. They have a report of what I saw. And we'll be sending an officer out to check it out just to be safe. Woman on the phone said it was a hot spot for homeless people and drug users. And I'm not the first person to report bizarre things like this. And I do hope reporting made a difference. I did offer to meet an officer and show him what I found, but they said that wouldn't be necessary. Woman I reported to did not seem particularly shocked or interested. Not saying she wasn't. Just my personal opinion based on her demeanor. She was kind and listened. She did not ask any further questions about the area or how I got to it. Did not address the panties or noose, but did say animal control sets out their own traps pretty regularly. I don't think it was their rusty bear trap, but what do I know? Now that it's been reported, I feel more comfortable releasing the area and doctor's office located nearby. We were visiting Dr. Bull's office off of Del Rio Court. 
The creek I have found out is called McAneer Creek. I have a GPS screenshot of the area now. We need to get rid of some evidence. Don't go anywhere. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorized financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. Want to listen to Disturbed ad-free? Of course you do. Go to disturbedpodcast.com slash support to get your access today. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Now let's hear from one of our listeners straight off the hotline at disturbedpodcast.com slash hotline. Free and available to all listeners. So Sarah... 
take it away. My name's Sarah. I live on the South Shore coast of Massachusetts. This story happened to me when I was probably about five or six years old. I'm now 18. I still live where I live on the South Shore. Same place as where this story happened. So at the time, I was at my aunt's boyfriend's house. And for a little clarification, I didn't grow up with the stereotypical mom, dad, sister, brother family. I had a little different family dynamic. So my aunt was almost my guardian. So we were over at her boyfriend's house and her boyfriend had a little boy that was about a year older than me. So if I was five, he was probably six. He might've even been seven. But what happened was my aunt and her boyfriend wanted to go out to dinner and they needed to find a babysitter to watch me and this boy. We can call him Colin for purposes of the story. So our parents leave and they hired a babysitter. So this wasn't a babysitter that we had had before. This was a totally new stranger that was coming into the house, had no idea who he was. And what happened was they left to go to their dinner and the babysitter, you know, took care of us for maybe five or 10 minutes. And very soon after his girlfriend arrived. So this was not part of the plan. This was not something that our parents were aware of and she was not supposed to be there. We were young, we didn't think much of it. Come to find out she was his accomplice. So a lot of this story, I only remember in bits and pieces because I feel that as I was so young and this was such a traumatic experience, my brain tried to kind of block that out to protect me from it. So one very vivid part that I remember is going upstairs, running away from this man because he was trying to chase us to constrain us. We didn't know why, we didn't understand, but we got to the top of the stairs and right at the top of the stairs was the master bedroom. We ran into the master bedroom and quickly crawled under the bed. We went right to the far corner so that we were as far away from the opening of the bed as possible. And what happened was the man ran upstairs, the babysitter, and followed us. So he was too big a man to get under the bed to grab us. So imagine that the bed frame was kind of like a lattice, almost pattern. It was metal bars crisscrossing each other. And one of those metal bars had broken and fallen off. It was a long, thin metal bar. And he had grabbed that bar and he was jabbing us with it, trying to get us to come out, trying to hurt us so we wouldn't want to be there anymore and we would flee. He got a couple swings in and eventually he must have realized, I'm not big enough to get under there. This isn't doing the job. So he decided to go downstairs. We were young and naive and we heard him go down and we decided to crawl out from under the bed. We began to exit the bedroom and go down the stairs and If you imagine these stairs, there was almost a nook right under that you could fit in. So almost like stairs and then like a space right underneath. So we were coming down the stairs and little to our knowledge, he was under the stairs in that little nook. We were probably about three or four stairs from the bottom and he jumped out and pulled us over the railing and he grabbed us and brought us into the living room. So back then in those days, again, this actually wasn't too long ago. It was probably a little over 10 years ago. People got their milk delivered to their house. So 
this family had a lot of milk crates in the house. They were probably used as storage and they were just sitting in the living room. So he took our little child, tiny bodies, and he stuck us inside of these milk crates. And he put us inside one and then put one over our head. So we were completely confined and his girlfriend gave him rope. So this is when we kind of realized, you know, something's wrong, this isn't right. And this is also when we realized she was the accomplice. She was here to help him commit a crime. So he took that rope and he intertwined it between the two milk crates, successfully locking us into these very small confined spaces where we were unable to move. So imagine we were in the fetal position and a lot of this has been blocked out of my brain. These very few moments I remember very vividly. And I remember looking over and seeing the little boy right across me in this milk crate stuffed to hell. I mean, he was stuffed and I was probably a little smaller. So I, I might've had a little wiggle room, but I'm telling you, we were confined. It was almost like we were stuck in a tiny, tiny box and unable to get out. So following this, the babysitter and his girlfriend decided to rob the house. They took valuables such as jewelry and phones and SD cards and the radio and whatnot. And they left. And I vividly remember feeling the need to call 911. I was too young to understand how to call 911. I wasn't very <laughs> versed in technology. I knew that I needed to call 911, but what I didn't know was they had taken the phones. And I was frantically, frantically trying to get out of these boxes. And somehow, me and the little boy eventually got out of these milk crates. And we just sat there traumatized until our parents came home. And I was too young. I'm, this was never explained to me afterwards for good reason. I probably wouldn't have understood what happened, but I'm sure that they filed a police report and something must have came of this. But this just goes to show you can't trust anyone. And even back then, we didn't know all the dangers of social media and meeting people online and having them come into your house and trust them with your children. So take this as a warning. If you're ever, ever hiring a babysitter that you don't know, do a background check, get a reference. It doesn't matter. You trust someone with your children, you make sure they're a good person because you really never know. But um, keep up the great work. I love the podcast and I thought I'd give it a go on my own story. But uh, thank you and I hope I gave you a little bit of a spook. Thanks, Sarah, for the submission and what an experience. What a great reminder to all the parents out there to vet those babysitters because you never really know. Thanks again. Now, next up, we hear from Reddit user Witness to Morbidity, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford, and we try to deal with an unhinged friend. At the time when the story began, I could never have imagined where it would lead. I made many mistakes throughout it, stemming both from my autism spectrum disorder and from genuine character flaws within my control. But I've come out of it wiser, and aware that if I'm not careful, I'll again be preyed on by people like the guy I encountered. A long time ago, I entered the scene of radical organizing. One of the first guys we took into our group stood out, in that he was possessed by an overwhelming zeal and enthusiasm. 
his passion was infectious, and me and my best friend within the group came to like him a lot. He was the most charismatic person we'd ever seen. You know, always cracking jokes, making speeches that reflected our beliefs, and telling interesting stories about his past. But before long, we began to see the downsides to his intense personality. First, it was relatively benign things, like him spanking his kids or him keeping his German Shepherd in an inhumane little cage for the vast majority of the day. Then it was weird quirks, like him telling the same prison gang and fight stories five times over in an attempt to make us view him as some macho badass. And then it was red flags that we should have recognized initially as concerning, like when he advocated for committing crimes against humanity in response to how much he hated the system. He once took me for a ride in his truck and casually said he hopes for nuclear missiles to drop on the United States just so that we could see a real change in this country. And he had ways of meeting people by supposed coincidence, with my friends saying he once had him basically sneak up on him in the street. And then there were also sketchy things about his past, like how he used to want to become a Green Beret so that he could rack up a bunch of kills for the USA before he supposedly became a dedicated left-wing activist. At a certain point, his latent desire for violence escalated to the point where he threatened to fight someone on social media who we were having an argument with. Supposedly, it was about defending me, but it was clearly nothing more than a macho gang-banging outburst, which was bad optics to say the least, so my friend told him to hold off on doing things like that. Then the cycle of drama started. He left our group, and at the same time intensified his efforts to become close to me. He started regularly taking me on rides, inviting me to hang out at his apartment and going on hikes with me. Him and his family knew how to party and I was having fun, but all the while was this weird undercurrent to it. Like, he would spend sometimes hours at a time ranting to me about how much he disliked my other friend, and how my friend's desire for curbing recklessly violent speech was a sign that he was some kind of fake native. They were both part indigenous. I mean, one day while taking me on a shopping trip, out of nowhere he said to me, I don't trust you. And while we were in a parking lot, he looked behind us like he was noticing something threatening and said, my spidey senses are tingling. And he declared to me that we don't need society after breaking from everyone else in my circle. At a later point, he got mad that Mexico lost to Canada at soccer, then drove around town looking for Canadians to go after. I mean, did he think he would recognize them by their maple hats or something? I found that he had zero friends besides me, for reasons that were becoming apparent. He had a habit of popping in, driving up to my house spontaneously without regard for boundaries. And he talked about stalking, describing elaborate hypothetical plans for tracking me down and assaulting my friend and the others in the group for supposedly having wronged him. He told an outrageous story about my other friend having said the n-word, even though this was wildly out of character for the allegation's target. I often felt myself getting creeped out, not wanting to face why. Then he friended me on Facebook and got into another confrontation with my other friend over some stupid drama. And while trying to cancel my friend on social media, he said, if I ever test positive for COVID, I'll be paying a visit to your place, in the context of him having brought up my friend's older dad and stepmom. Then he started trying to isolate me from all my other friends, claiming I needed to cut them off in order to be truly principled. I politely refused, now aware that he might come after me or my family if I ticked him off. And he cut me off for several months before reaching out to me again. Now, I should have cut him off right after the inciting incident, 
and made clear to him that I shared my friend's disapproval of his loose cannon way of operating. But I allowed myself to be manipulated into being passive, and this had consequences. A couple weeks before the 2020 election, I briefed him on the news about the potential for political violence in the coming days. This evidently sparked inspiration in him, because ten days later, he invited me on a very strange drive. While I drove with him, he asked me questions about how close I felt the country's situation was to civil war. During this conversation, he drove up to my friend's house asking, Is that your friend's house? As if he didn't know. Then he asked, when was the last time you've been to that house? To which I answered honestly, saying I'd recently gone there. A few days later, he cut me off again, this time because I had supposedly betrayed the movement by going to the house. Half a year later, he reached out to me again, later saying he had forgiven me for my supposed wrongdoing of not cutting off my other friends. On and off, we hung out again, though now I consciously didn't trust him. But he had ways of charming me, relating with me about topics I'm passionate about and building up my self-confidence through encouraging banter. And it seemed like things would return to normal. I mean, like things were ever normal with this guy in the first place. The cracks in this facade began to show when he took me on another drive. He didn't pull up to my friend's house this time, but he explained the thought process behind why he had done so previously. He said he was asking me for information on the present political tensions so that he could decide whether the 2020 election was the right moment to go on a murder spree. He described a scenario where he would drive me across the area and take me to help him pick off individuals he felt had to go. And he then told me a story where he had caught his old girlfriend throwing a party without him, pulled out a knife, and went after one of the guys. The Halloween music was playing in my mind, he said. He then described a scene where he got within an inch of stabbing his target before the poor dude's car kicked into gear at the last second. I was more concerned than ever, of course, but I was also more inclined than ever to appease him to keep myself safe. That was another mistake of mine. A few weeks later, he texted me with a link to a gore video, saying, These things happen in war. If you can't handle this, war is not for you. It wasn't until I talked about this incident to my other friend, the one who got tangled with the N-word accusation, and I was made to realize just how dangerous of a situation I was in. According to my friend, those kinds of videos are extremely illegal. This claim I found was mistaken upon further research when it comes to the specific kind of content this guy shared, but that nonetheless shook me in the moment. And as my friend concluded, these attempts to pull me into destructive acts wouldn't end here. The guy at one point basically described how he would screw me over, saying, If you and I ever go to prison for beating someone up, the Nazis will be trying to recruit you. I've since cut him off, which was as easy as finally making it clear that I did not appreciate the way he had defended me by threatening violence against someone in a sensitive public context. I said to him that I'm capable of defending myself, which applies to my current situation where I'll likely have to pepper spray him if I ever meet him out and about. And while freaking out at me, he demanded that I clear his name. But there's nothing I could ever say that will clear his name at this point. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user Gorgelina. Featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas. 
and we experience the creepy neighbor. Background. I, 24 female, live with my roommate, 23 female, in an apartment in the suburbs of Atlanta. As you may know, Atlanta is super dangerous and crime-riddled right now, so we have a ring peephole camera, perfect for apartments, and a digital lock on our front door for safety. Now, on to the story. About three months ago, the sweet family across the hall moved out, and we got a new neighbor. His name is David, and let's just say he's interesting. When we first saw him moving in, we were a bit taken aback by the sheer amount of stuff he was trying to fit in his one-bedroom apartment. All of it was anime merch and Star Wars memorabilia. Definitely gives me hoarder vibes, but not my business. When the moving trucks left and a few days had passed, my roommate and I knocked on his door to give him a welcome to the neighborhood gift basket with some baked goods, dog treats, and poop bags for his dog, and seasonal candles. Apparently, this was not the correct thing to do. After that day, David got creepy. It started out innocent enough. He would come to the door whenever he heard me or my roommate coming or going to have a quick chat, or he would come over regularly to ask for salt or sugar or toilet paper. Sometimes he would ask if we could come over and watch his dog. But within the past two weeks, things have really escalated. Two weekends ago, we were out pretty late, partying at the bars near the Braves Stadium. We ended up getting home around 3 a.m., only to find David sitting at the top of the stairs waiting for us. He acted all upset, asked us where we had been, and requested that we tell him if we were planning to be out past midnight. I laughed in his face, and he called me a mindless Stacy. I'm still not sure what that means. He also asked for access to our ring camera so he could make sure we are safe. We laughed at him again and went into our apartment. Here's the scary part. We checked the ring the next morning and he sat outside his apartment staring at our door for the rest of the night. When we saw that, we contacted the complex to let them know that he was acting crazy. They told us to contact the police, so we did. The police told us to contact them if he made any threats, but since we lived in a shared space, they couldn't do anything until he entered our apartment or threatened us. I assume the complex said something to him because he left us alone for the next five days or so. This week, he is out of control. He is constantly sitting outside of our apartment. My roommate has started leaving for work an hour earlier so that she doesn't cross paths with him. I cannot leave the apartment during the day because he is constantly waiting outside for me. He has asked me out, left love letters on our door, on our cars, and in our mailbox. I told him once that I wasn't interested, and he told me that he would kill himself if I didn't go on a date with him. Of course, I don't have that in writing, so the police won't do shit. He has also put up a ring doorbell of his own so he can track all of our movements and will leave really creepy sexual notes when we're gone so we find them when we come back. What do we do? Edit. Thank you for all of the advice. For now, my brother is spending the night on my couch for the next few nights until we can have a sit-down meeting with my landlord. We have collected all of the evidence and ring footage so we can show how much this has progressed. I'm sure the landlord and the police think we're being dramatic little girls or whatever, so we're not going to take no for an answer. 
Either he leaves or we break our lease and get our full security deposit back. We are also going to file for a temporary restraining order at the very minimum, because some of the commenters said that would be faster than going through the police. Again, thank you so much for all of the advice. I'll update you if any crazy shit goes down. Update, March 14th. Thank you so much to everyone who replied to this thread and sent me private messages. I really appreciate all the kind words, advice, and support. Here are some updates. One, we met with our landlord last week. Unfortunately, they aren't willing to work with us as much as we expected. They will not remove him from his unit. Since we didn't want to spend a ton of money to move, we asked if we could move units within the complex. The landlord offered us a one-bedroom unit on the terrace level, so my roommate and I would have to share a room in what is basically the basement of our building. Not ideal. Two, we spoke to the police, and they said that the notes and letters weren't enough to get someone on stalking or harassment, especially since he lives literally three feet away from us. He probably just thinks you're cute. They did keep the ring videos and said that they would contact us sometime this week after they reviewed all the footage. Three, we have both moved in with my parents for the time being. Shout out to them for being incredible parents. It really sucks spending two grand monthly on a place you can't live. We are actively looking for other apartments, but money is tight since we would have to buy out the current lease and pay to start a new one. Also not ideal. So, not the update we were hoping for, but we are both safe now and that's what's important. If anyone has suggestions about raising $5,000 in a month, please let me know. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Submit your own experience to the show in writing or through the hotline at disturbedpodcast.com. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters, Melissa Bunn, CChat900, River Hader, Chandra Radix, Danny Beatty, Lisa Belaski, Christopher Tercero, Stephanie Lynn, Brandon Missigman, Erixa13, Tess, Mary, Amy Clark, Emily Pfeiffer, Caleb Hofton, Courtney Lane, Adam D, and Alyssa Howard. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases. And you can too. Patreon.com slash Disturbed Podcast. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudioAndCo.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>